We are so grateful that you are joining us today. We, as a community, pray that the Lord would refresh you as you hear today's message. If you would like to support and further the work here in the city, please visit us at www.oasischurchchicago.com or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Now, here's today's message. Thank you, thank you. You can take a seat. How are we doing today? It is good to be in Chicago. It is good to be at Oasis. Uh, I love your pastors. Anybody love your pastors? I'm excited about what's happening here. I'm excited about what has happened, but I'm more excited about what's about to happen. And so make sure you're here next week. Make sure you bring somebody to hear about the vision and where you're going because that's so important for the life of a church. I don't know if you know this, but they're about to have a baby. We're praying, we're praying for a baby. I, I said they should have named him Jordan, like, duh, you know, like, but they went with another name, like, whatever. But we're going to be praying for baby Titus. But I love this verse. I have uh, three daughters, 12, 14, 17. I want to light myself on fire. <laughs> One's driving now. We're looking at colleges and all that stuff. I know, I look 24. But there's a, there's a verse in Psalms that says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And his children will be mighty in the land. It doesn't say anything about the guy that fears the Lord. It doesn't say anything about him. He says, but because of his decisions of in the present and the past, man, the future is going to be so much better. And so, yeah, we're going to pray for them as a family and baby Titus, but even the, the life of this church, man, blessed is the people that are in this church that fear the Lord, man, and the future is going to be so much brighter and we're going to be mighty in the land, in Chicago, in this community and wherever else God has us to go. So God, even right now, I pray for this church. I pray for what you're doing. I pray for what you're about to do, that we would be people dedicated to the life of this church, to the message of your gospel. And I pray for your servants here, Pastor JP and Rachel and baby Titus, God, that you would protect them, that we'd rally behind them and that we'd get behind them and, and make sure that they're good on a personal level so that they can lead this church where you're calling it to go, God. I pray amazing things in the future for 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and so beyond God we're believing for great things do it in us and through us in the precious name of Jesus somebody say amen and amen come on you ready how many know that pastor JP and pastor Rachel cannot do this on their own they need all of us even me in New York as a friend, praying for them, being with them, walking with them. Anybody ever do a thousand piece puzzle? We're going to do that right now. You ready? I'm kidding. Anybody do a thousand piece puzzle? Anybody got a puzzle piece here? You know what you do? You, you get the puzzle uh, and you, you, you flip all the pieces out and you put the box. And you put, you know the picture because uh, you're, you're looking to see what it's going to be. And you put the picture there because, you know, you're, you're looking ahead. And so you, you got all the pieces on the table. You color scan, color coordinate. You put all the, the colors, the reds and the beiges and whatever. And you, What do you look for? You look for the four corners. You look for the sides. And then, of course, you have all your middles and you're flipping all the pieces. And, and you're excited to do this, right? 
You start to connect one, ooh, that feels good. Connect two, and that feels good. Connect three, and that feels good. You're, you're connecting all the pieces, and as the days and weeks are actually moving on, you're, you're, you're progressing and getting uh, more and more of the puzzle completed. Finally, you're towards the end. I mean, you got 999 pieces in place. You are excited. There is police caution line around the table. Nobody better get near this thing. And, and, and you're excited to finally complete the puzzle, and you look down and... The last one's missing. Man, you just about lose your mind. You start to flip over everything. You grab a knife. You're cutting the cushions. You, you, you look at the dog. You look at the knife. You look at the dog. You look at the knife. You threaten the kids. You're like, man, where is this? You literally about to go insane. Why? Because every piece is important. There's not one piece in the puzzle that doesn't matter. You can't say, hey, there's 999 other pieces. This one doesn't matter. Every single piece is important. Every pe single piece is different. They all have different purposes. They were all, they're all unique. They were all created and designed and appointed for a very specific place and location way before that moment by the creator of the puzzle. You can't look at your neighbor's piece and say, man, his piece is better than mine or her piece is better than mine. You, you can't get jealous about somebody else's puzzle piece because every single piece has their place. Every single piece is needed and no other piece fits where this piece fits and this piece doesn't fit where another piece fits. And you can try to force it, but you'll bend the piece or hurt your thumb. Every piece has their place. Every piece has their location. And just as every piece is important, you can't see the whole puzzle with just this piece. You got to connect. You got to connect to others. And then as you connect, then it allows and creates space for another three to connect and then another nine to connect and so forth and so forth. And you finally get all the pieces in place and you can actually finally see the big picture. You fit somewhere. You help others fit. And the puzzle is not complete without you. You're not in competition with anyone. Stop looking at what everybody else is doing and everybody else is achieving and how many IG followers somebody else has, man. God did not call you to be him and God did not call you to be her. God called you to be you. He needs you. You are God's only choice for your life assignments. And there's this guy in the Bible. He wrote 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. I mean, this guy is awesome. This guy is, I mean, wild. This guy, uh, he, he was so passionate about his message and his purpose and his calling. Uh, they say he walked an average of 20 miles a day to get this message out. And I mean, this guy was intense. Not, no one or not many people have impacted history quite like this guy. And he didn't care what happened to him. I mean, this guy was shipwrecked, bit by a snake, beaten, uh, whipped, thrown in jail, stoned, left for dead because they thought he was dead. And what does this guy do? He gets right back up and he goes right back into the same city to preach. If that was me, I would have got myself a milkshake and a cookie and called it a day. But not Paul. Paul was intense and passionate about his purpose and knew about his calling. And he was so passionate that he was willing to do whatever. And so we're going to talk about this guy. But before Paul was Paul, Paul was. And so before we meet Paul, let's meet Saul. We're going to open up the book to Acts chapter 9. And while you're getting there, we're going to read the first 15 verses. I'm just going to pray. Lord, help us to in, 
counter you in a special, special way. Have an encounter that will long outlast this moment. Speak to our reality. Speak to our situation. Help us see things as you see them. Help us to respond to this call to action. People on your mark, get ready, get set. Let's go. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 15 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christians, uh, men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem as he neared. Somebody say, as he neared. Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. I don't know why. That's my Jesus voice. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Uh, he actually tells his testimony later on in a couple different chapters in the book of Acts in chapter 26. It, 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 he elaborates a little bit more. He says that Jesus said to him, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to life and pow- from pa- the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Back to Acts 9, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument. Quick run through. Saul's probably in his 30s, around the same age of Jesus. I'm a nerd, so I like all this kind of stuff. Pretty big deal for such a young guy. His parents were Pharisees. He was Jewish. He was also a Roman citizen, so his passport was good anywhere. He could travel first class anywhere and everywhere he wanted. He spoke Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, and possibly Latin. When he was 13, 13, he went to go study under a famous rabbi named Gamaliel, and he spent five to six years there with him, studying the law, studying the letter of the law. He was well on his way to becoming part of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of judges that were, had the honor of upholding the law and enforcing the law. The law was their message. Everyone needed to abide by it. And these people had no grace. So Saul's one of these guys. He's serious about his faith, and he's allowed zero room for compromise because the law is the law. The law was his pride and joy. I mean, this is the law of God. This is the Torah. This is God's instructions. Pretty much there's a billion rules that say, uh, calls for your death if you break any of them, right? Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and life for a life. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. You got all these things. I mean, if X happens, Y is the legal consequence. Like you have uh, all this stuff set up to make sure that you obey the law. And Saul was one of these guys, and he had no wiggle room. There was no grace. The law was his message. We first meet this villain, this this all-around bad guy at a murder scene towards the act, uh, end of Acts chapter 7. There's this guy named Stephen, a guy, 
Christian guy. He had a different message than Saul had. He had a, a Jesus message, and he was preaching it, and, and the people didn't like what he was saying. And so they grab Stephen, and they bring him outside the city. They bring him to a certain place, and they're about to stone him. They're about to kill him. But, of course, before they, they do that, they, they got to take off their, their blousy outer garments because, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, if you're going to throw a rock at somebody's head, like, if you've ever done that, like, you want full rotational functionality in your throwing arm to make sure that, you know, the rock really hits where it's supposed to and nothing slows it down, right? Makes sense. So they take off their, their garments, right, because they want nothing to slow it down. I don't know about you girls that yet again, ever get in a fight. I don't know if it's a New York thing, but you like, oh, my goodness, right? You take off all your earrings. You're like, it's about to go down. And so what do they do? They, they take off their outer garments and they lay them at the feet of this guy named Saul. It's the first place we finally see him in the movie. Uh, they put their cloaks at his feet and he stands there. He's the ringleader. He's the one nodding his head, giving approval, saying, yeah, yeah, beam these rocks at this guy's head because he's got the wrong message and he needs to obey the law. See, Saul had a bloody job. He did it with pleasure. In Acts 8, it says he goes from house to house to house. He, he gives his testimony, like I said, in chapters 22 and 26. And, and one of those, he says he was obsessed with persecuting the church, that he even hunted them down in foreign cities. And so we now come back to Acts chapter 9. He says while he was uh, uh, breathing out murderous threats, he's on a mission to kill. He literally didn't wait for more orders. He literally went to the big bosses and was like, hey, guys, uh, everybody that you told me that everybody was on the list, they're all dead or in jail. Yeah, yeah, everything went smooth. No, no, no. Day off? No, I don't need a day off. I, I got to go. There's people that have the wrong message, and they're disobeying the law, and, and, and there's all these people of the way, these Christians. Uh, I got to eradicate this problem. So, man, I need, I need more license to kill. I need, I need more orders. Uh, I, I got I to get on my way, so let's go. So he gets them, and he says, I'm going to go enforce the law in a place called Damascus. Now, from Jerusalem to Damascus, it's 135 miles. I ask myself, are we willing to walk 135 miles to tell somebody about Jesus? Like, what's our limit? Like, what, what, what are we willing to do to actually tell? I get mad because there are so many people out there that go hard, for, uh, harder and farther to stop us from talking about Jesus and stop us from telling people, hey, this is the way that the Bible says to live. And, and, and they go harder and farther than we do than we're willing to tell them about Jesus. They go harder and farther to shut us up than we're willing to tell them what can actually save them. They go harder and farther to attack us and attack our beliefs than we're actually willing to love them and tell them what we know to be true. I'm tired of people being loud about their way of thinking and their belief system. I'm tired of the whisper praise. I want to be loud about my faith. I want to be loud about this grace. I want to be loud about my salvation and my purpose and my calling and my convictions and what I know to be true. I don't want to... Lower my voice when I'm talking in a restaurant, when I'm talking about Jesus, because I'm afraid of who's going to hear it. Who cares? They're confident about what they, they believe. Man, I am so confident about what I believe, and I want to be loud about it. And so verse 3 says, as he neared Damascus, 133 miles, 134 miles, super close. 
I imagine they're traveling for days. They're probably on the way there. Maybe they stop at night. They build a fire, whatever it was. And, and Saul and his boys, his travel companions, they're talking about what's about to happen. They're, they're talking about, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to get to Damascus, and we're going to get those Christians, those stupid Christians. Oh, oh we're going to get them because they disobeyed the law, and they got the wrong message, and, and, and we're going to do this. Here's the game plan. And maybe they're joking about what, what's happened in the past and all the people that they've killed. Maybe they're thinking about Stephen. Maybe they're thinking about their family members and all the family members that are at the courthouses trying to get their family members out of jail because Saul had a place and putting them there. Maybe they're laughing and, and, and they're on their way to Damascus at 133 and 134 miles. I mean, they're close. They're so close. They're, they're on their way. Maybe they could see the city right over the ridge. I mean, they're so close they could smell the city. I don't know how Damascus smelled, but they, they, they're like, it's right there. So close. But man, were they so far. So close, but man, were they so far. And they all fall off their horses. They all fall to the ground. And then Jesus. Saul on his way with what he thinks to be the right message. He hits a traffic light. He says, stop, wait there. I want to have a word with you before you move on. And Jesus starts to talk to him. And now it says the guys traveling with him heard a noise, but they really didn't know what was going on. The calling was specific to Saul. I don't know if those other guys got saved. I hope they got saved. I hope they got their life changed. I like to think that they did. But I don't know that. The spotlight zeroed in on Saul. The conversation was with Saul. The name calling was to Saul. The, the conversation started with Saul, Saul. And I'm like, God, why are you talking to him? This guy just killed Stephen. Don't you remember what he did? Like, why, why are you having a conversation? Kill him. What are you doing? But God. So conversation starts, Saul, Saul. I love this because there's four times in the Bible where Jesus is actually speaking and speaking to someone or an actual city and repeats the name twice. And anywhere that that happens in the Bible where Jesus repeats the name, it's always the beginning of a conversation where, where Jesus is saying, man, you thought you were doing the right thing, but you got it all wrong. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you thought you were the city of worship. You thought you were the hometown. You thought you were the place where everybody was supposed to gather. But man, I've sent all these prophets to you and you've killed them. I tried to gather you to myself, but you didn't want it. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Simon, Simon, you thought you was my ride or die. You thought you was going to ride and die with me to the end. You, you, you thought you were all in, but man, I tell you before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, you thought you chose the right thing to, 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 to prepare the meal. You thought you were serving me by making dinner. But I tell you, your sister Mary actually chose the right thing by sitting at my feet and spending time with me. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Saul, 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 Saul. You thought you were on the right road. You thought you had the right message. You thought you were doing the right thing. But I'm telling you, you were actually working against me. You thought you were supposed to be with that guy. You thought you were supposed to be with that girl. You thought you were supposed to take that job. You thought you were supposed to move there. You thought you were supposed to do there. And he's calling you out by name saying, man, you, you thought, you thought, but you thought wrong. First of all, Christians are straight up scared, running for their lives. People are in jail. People are, in, people are dead. Family members at the courthouse. Family members at uh, the cemetery. And Jesus says, why do you persecute me? He doesn't say, why do you persecute my people? Why do you perse persecute my church? Why do you persecute them? He says, why do you 
persecute me. Because when you and I are going through some stuff, Jesus takes it personal and he gets involved. You know when you're about to get in a fight and your boys come over and they're like, uh-uh, you mess with him, you mess with me? That's Jesus. He's like, I'm going to get involved in this situation and I'm going to make sure that if you mess with them, man, you're messing with me. I take it personal. I get involved. And I come out the person that's attacking my people. So why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Doesn't know exactly what's going on. Doesn't know who he's really talking to, but there's an immediate respect. Like Saul's probably like, what in the world is going on? I, I was on, I thought I was on the right road. And all of a sudden this light with a voice knows my name and knocks me off my horse. And now everything's changing. What in the world is happening? And your life flashes before your eyes. And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul's got to be like, Jesus, like, 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 Jesus, like, the guy that did all the miracles, Jesus, like, the, the Jesus that just died on the cross, Jesus, like, the guy we switched Barabbas for, Jesus, like, Easter Jesus, like, that Jesus, like, the guy that said he was the Messiah, like, that, wait, that Jesus, and Jesus, like, yeah, yeah, homie, that, that's, that's me, I'm, I'm that Jesus, and he says, go up, get up, go into the city, the same city you were about to bring death to, I'm about to switch it up. And I'll tell you what you must do when you get there. I mean, straight swag, like green light, get up, go, uh, wait for my instruction. I've called you. I've appointed you. I got some work for you to do. Little important puzzle piece. And he gets up and he's blind and he can't see. It's like there's uncertainty in that moment. Like the only thing that you could do in that moment is reach out and, 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 and grasp around. And hopefully someone grabs your hand to guide you and take you to where God's calling you. To go, I mean, there's got to be pure agony. He's, he can't eat. He can't drink for three days. I mean, he's got to be thinking about all the horrible stuff that he's done and probably thinking about what in the world is happening right now. I don't understand what's going on. And in Saul's most darkest and blinded moment, where his eyes are closed, God visits another person and opens his eyes, and he goes to speak to Ananias. Says Ananias, I want you to deliver a message to a guy named Saul. And Ananias is probably like, Yeah, man, that's cool. Like, I'll deliver the message. Like, what's his Instagram handle? And God's like, At Saul of Tarsus. And he's like, Whoa, wait. Like, that guy's the worst. Like, that guy's coming here to kill us and put us in prison and take away our freedom. What do you, I can't go to him. Like, he's coming to us to do all this bad stuff. I mean, this is a suicide mission. Like, Maybe you, maybe you chose the wrong guy, like, forget me, but are you sure you, why would I go deliver a message to that guy, like, pretty much counting them out, like, God, you can't use this person, and I love it. He says, yeah, yeah, that's the Saul. That one, that one's my chosen instrument. That's the one that I'm going to use to change history. That's the one that I'm going to use to write 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. That's the one that I'm actually going to use to actually bring my gospel a lot further than anybody else. Like that, that's my chosen instrument. I got more, but I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and help me. Singers, you come up too. This is the gospel right here. This is the, the good news. Like, like Saul was on his way with the law in his pocket, 
to imprison Christians and to torture them and to bind them and to lock them up and take away their freedom. The law said you broke this and you deserve death. You deserve to be punished and tortured. As he neared, as the law near, uh, neared, the law was on its way to kill you, to imprison you, to lock you up, to take away your freedom. Oh, but as it neared, as it got closed, Pastor JP mentioned it while we were yet sinners. Jesus died for us while we were on the road to destruction, while we were so close to death, while we were so close to ruining our lives and the lives of others, while we were on our way getting closer and deeper into sin. Jesus steps in. His grace steps in. He shines a light in the darkness. He reveals some stuff that we couldn't see. He singles us out. He calls out our name. And he helps us to see the light. The law had us on trial, looking at the death penalty. Prosecution laid out all the evidence. It's undeniable. Everybody in the courtroom knows the verdict. They're all looking at us with pity and shame. And the judge slams his gavel and says the wages of sin is death. And at your darkest, most blinded moment, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The wages of sin is death. The gavel slams, the judge slams the gavel, but then the same judge gets up and walks around the bench and comes and says, move over, and he takes our place, and he stands in our place, and he, he didn't break the law. We broke the law, but he says, hey, I'm going to take this one for you because you are my chosen instrument. I didn't come here to judge. I came here to use you. I didn't come here to punish you. I came here to choose you. I didn't come here to, to throw you away. I actually want you to do some incredible things for me. I got a calling and a purpose on your life. And it's way bigger than you ever even imagined that God could do with you. You sat in the back saying, man, I'm just one of the thousand pieces. There's 999 other pieces. Someone else could give. Someone else could serve. Someone else could do this. And God's like, no, 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 no. You are my chosen instrument. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. And then everything changes for Saul. Everything changes now from this moment. Once he realized that he's been called and his eyes are now open, everything changes. And instead of living by the law, he's now going to live by grace. He went from being passionate about persecuting the church to passionate about protecting Jesus. Murderous threats to love notes, death to life. He went from upholding Old Testament law to writing 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. He went from the written word to the word made flesh. And he goes from Saul to Paul. Check this out. Check this out. Everywhere in the Bible where God changes the name of somebody, whether it's Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul, it was always after greater divine revelation of who God is and then given greater divine revelation of who that person was called to be, the purpose and the calling on their life. And so everything changes. And now Saul's so excited, man. Saul's so excited about this message. Saul's like, man, everybody's got to hear this thing. This thing changed my life. This thing changed everything. And I got to tell everybody about this Jesus and about this grace. So he starts writing letters. He starts writing letters 
And then he goes, he goes, hey, Romans, hey, you guys over there in Rome, I got something to tell you. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And to the Corinthians, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit, the old written covenant as in death. But enter the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And to the Galatians, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated, cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And to the Ephesians, because of his great life, love, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And to the Philippians, not having a righteousness of my own that comes with the law, but that which through great faith in Christ. And to the Colossians, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and to the Thessalonians. We have been appointed to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and by his grace gave us hope. And to Timothy, the grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And to Titus, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom we report out on just generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And to Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And just in case he wrote Hebrews, he says the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced. Jesus is the better covenant. Law loses, grace wins. Law loses, Jesus wins. Come on.